This is the PropTech VC Podcast. We give you unique insights into how innovative technologies are disrupting real estate. We interview top entrepreneurs, investors, and knowledgeable experts to share the inside scoop in this fast-moving industry. It's hosted by leading PropTech VC, Zane Jaffer. Let's dive into today's content. So a lot of this is lip service. It's just check, ticking a box. It's not radical. It's just uh, doing what we can to get by so we don't have to deal with the bad media attention. Or we have a good answer to uh, an employee when they ask us, how are you guys diverse and friendly? Oh, well, we have a black woman on our executive team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's creating diversity and inclusive departments so you don't get sued versus to actually have inclusive companies. Because you are, you don't have to uh, try to figure out how to make it happen. You just are, and it's a way of operating that's different. I think it are, yes, but I think it's, it continuously always changes, and it's always going to take hard conversations, always, always. It's, it's forever going to be uncomfortable to continue to hold these think tanks, how, how do we do better? How do we show up better? Why and for who? Is it uncomfortable for the people of privilege or is it uncomfortable also for people that just want to work and don't want to get involved in all these discussions? I think it's all, I think inherently it can be uncomfortable in general. So um, there is a statistic from, I think it's like the Neuro Institute is, I think, the name of this company, um, that diverse groups, when they work together, statistically, they always think they're doing worse. And the group dynamic is more uncomfortable, but they always ended a better result. Whereas homogenous groups feel better and they think they're doing better. They think they're the best, but they don't have the most innovative ideas. That tension, which I'm not talking about uncomfortable or unsafe. I don't mean uncomfortable in the term of unsafe. I just mean there's tension in it, right? Like you and I view the world differently. We come from different backgrounds. And us being able to challenge each other in some ways but still highly respect each other, there will be times that there's tension. That tension breeds innovation to me, and it breeds more inclusive spaces. That's fascinating because I, I, I really um, resonate with that. When I was a founder and CEO and I had an executive team, I remember asking an executive coach, what do you what do you think about the dynamics? And she was like, oh, it's terrible. You guys are always fighting. You're always arguing. I'm like, well, we're not fighting and arguing. We're, 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 we're doing what we should be doing as an executive team. And yes, it's tiring. Those offsites we'd have and would be exhausting, okay? As, a, as an executive, yeah. it just, ugh. We're going around in circles. We keep challenging everything, but that's our job. Our job is mm -hmm. to put ideas on the table, rip them apart. And then when we make a move, we all understand the pros and cons and we stand behind it. I'm not okay. This is my stance, at least as a CEO, right? I was not okay with um, questioning the decision once it's been made and we've made a, a statement, we're going after it. That's politics. But I absolutely want to make sure we exhaust this Right. Yeah. Before we agree, we exhaust this because we owe it to our employees, our customers, our shareholders. And that did come from having diversity, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I always precursor those conversations with like, hey, everyone, this is going to be really hard. This is going to be emotional. Take care of yourself. Takes breaks when we need it. We all need to come from a place of respect. And, you know, there's certain things that may be off limits. If there are certain things that are triggering to you, like 
safe words or something that like might be, you know, depending on what the topic is, especially if you're talking about, you know, race, religion, anything of that nature is like, what's the buzzword that everyone needs to like pause and hold space for each other. Um, but yeah, I completely agree. We need to be able to, to break that thing up. And I, the only time I really get loud with my team is I'm like, stop agreeing with me. If everybody is agreeing with me all the time, we're never going to come up with the best idea. This is not the Ashley show. And it's interesting how how a team can feel like they're making progress, as you stated in that study. In reality, uh, because you're sort of tearing something up and you're debating, you feel like you're behind. But statistically, you end up in a better place because you think it through better and you bring in diverse opinions. Uh, And that's what it's about, right? Having a different, uh, having variety. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And especially in technology, can we talk about how much, like the ethics that are involved with building AI with a homogenous group of people? Y'all, that is problematic. That is scary. Super, super, super scary if we are building AI with one group of people for the entire globe or the entire, like, we're talking about a population, but we have one type of people building AI. No, thanks. Turns out AI can be quite racist itself. And that comes from how the data it's fed. If you're you're building AI on a system where bias already exists, what's the AI going to do? It's going to be honest. It's not AI's fault, but the way you've designed the AI is going to result in more black people getting pulled over for random searches or, you know, more women. Medical. Right. Medical. Yeah. Absolutely. I completely agree. And that, that kind of goes back to the, we must be painfully aware of our privilege, right? The first step to, to, diversity and inclusion to me is understanding that we are all biased and that doesn't make us bad. It's not binary. To, to say that we are not, that you are not racist or that you are not prejudiced or that you are not biased is you haven't done enough work <laughs> to know that we all only view the world through our own lens. And we can work on those things, absolutely. But it's not about being not racist, it's about being anti-racist. <laughs> Right. And how do we how do we build systems and build groups of people that check us on our shit? So you're saying that you can't really make change unless you admit that there are privileges and there are issues. If you just put them under the table, you're not transformation and you're not doing real change. I've been in plenty of uh, male groups where it's like, oh, we've got a woman joining the team. We have to kind of tone down our behavior now. We have to watch out for these inside jokes. And and, you know, the the problem is still there and it's very foundation if that's the attitude you know why can't it be like how do we make this more professional and better um you know in 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 any in many industries it's like this but in real estate too you 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 this is just how it is it's it's uh look without sounding biased and racist myself now but you know old white man controlling a lot of wealth generational wealth that's passed down and it just tends to be like a male figure that tends to inherit and run it. And those male figures do really well because they're an industry with more males and they can yep. all do male focused activities, whatever that means. Um, very hard for a woman to come in and break that. And um, those biases exist. I feel like real estate is one of the mm-hmm. slowest moving industries when it comes to diversity. In certain sectors it is. And I think in the commercial space, I feel it is because companies are being held um, to account and those companies are tenants of buildings. 
in tenants of a building, you're going to hire people and firms who've matched the values of your company, you know, uh, and that might mean more diversity there. But in other areas like the investment side, Ashley, it's not diverse at all. No, it's absolutely, it's absolutely not. And I think that goes back to wealth. Right. Real estate is is tied to generational wealth. It's going to change though, right? Like women outlive men um, and women control more purchasing, you know, power. Over time, I think once those guys die, (laughs) you've got more women controlling the wealth. But, you know, um, putting sort of, I wouldn't say jokes aside, I mean, it's it's a fact I believe in, right? That the power is shifting. More women play a bigger role in consumer spending and in business spending. But what's the timeline here? In your view, how long will it be before we have a world that you would be proud of, um, that um, is diverse? And I'm talking about real estate specifically. And I I can even talk about the elevator industry. How long will it be before you think there will be um, a good culture in place? Oof. I don't even know how to answer that. That's tough. Will it happen in our lifetime? You know, my gut tells me no, and my heart's like, I hope so, um, is like the, the most honest, the most honest answer I can give you is like what my body's telling me. Um, and it's conflicting because I think in real estate, sure, women may make better decisions and live longer, but the people that, that you know, we talk about people dying, like passing down wills, you still have people making decision of like where that power is being shifted to. And I think that breaking that up, yes, there's more awareness, but will that be in our lifetime? I don't know. Well, I, was, I mean, I, I was trying to, um, to do my damnedest. I was trying to draw you down. Okay, lifetime, okay, we agree. What about decade? Okay, we agree. Which year ever, <laughs> to hear you even start off and say, you, you you don't feel that way at least in you know at least how you feel in your gut that's uh that's yeah. um and do, do you think it's because you you may have experienced more as a woman and uh, because men perhaps uh, aren't even aware you don't know what you don't know whereas uh, mm-hmm. being a female you perhaps experience it and it sticks with you it, it could that be a reason yeah, I think I'm more in touch with the problem. Abs- absolutely, right? And even I recently was down in Florida and was talking to some folks that I didn't know about equity, right? Do we all have an equal shot? When we try hard, do we all have the ability to get rich just to keep it simple? And I'm like, sure, we all have an equal shot, but we're taking that shot from significantly different lengths, right? If you're trying to make a shot in a basketball hoop, yes, it's theoretically possible that we can all make the shot, but some people are a football field away to make that ball in the hoop. And, and I think that often men, and especially white men, are like, everyone can make it. And they're looking at the basketball hoop and they're saying, everyone can make it, like looking up at it, and they just have to like raise their arm and like drop the ball in. And I'm like, yes, you're right. The hoop is the same for everyone. You are correct, but you're not looking at it from the back of the football field. And there's still folks standing there that go, I'm not even going to try to make that shot because why? Why even try? And that's where equity versus equality is prevalent and has been coming up for me a lot. So I think one of the most radical things that I could do as a woman or as, and, and as a queer person is to own real estate, not even, not even like a portfolio. I'm just talking about me being able to own some land somewhere. So in order to get real estate equality, we have to look at 
equality in lending, access to capital. There's so many factors that go into equity and equality in the real estate industry. There's many studies that also show how investment portfolios are managed, men versus women. I don't think we'd have the crazy bidding wars and the level of inflation that we see today in real estate prices if we had, you know, more if you had more women leadership at the helm of investment decisions. Uh, everything is driven with emotions in real estate. As much as you like to look at cap rates and interest rates and financial modeling, it's ego. It's people mm-hmm. who like to win, mm-hmm. and um, these are things that is that I would say is toxic masculinity. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, it's not, it's, it's also um, sort of a, a problem that I've encountered as a, you know, a, a male leader, right? And I, mm-hmm. I ran a startup, I ran a company. Um, it was quite hard for me to make change happen because my peers would constantly say, dude, like, what's up? Just chill. You know, there isn't a problem. We have a couple of women on our account management team. We have some female engineers. And we ultimately, my my board said to me at one point, Zane, you need to hire the best person for the job, okay? And it's not relevant whether a female or a male, but I would say, but the problem is that our recruitment pipeline has a problem. The reason I haven't seen many female candidates and the reason I want to hold out a little bit longer before I make a decision is, I think something's rotten and broken with the very top of the funnel. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The question is, but we need to hire this role immediately. And I'm like, but I think we've got a biased pipeline. 100%. But you're fighting the system here. And of course, you have to take accountability as a founder and CEO, take accountability. I built that system. Next time around, I'm, I'm privileged enough that I have the money where I don't have to take investors who, you know, come from a different worldview. Because when you take an investor, they're part of your system now mm-hmm. and they have tremendous influence. But uh, I, I felt a lot of pushback too. And another pushback I felt, actually, I don't think I've ever said this to anyone. But this is interesting to talk about. Um, I had a bit of a debate with some of the female leaders in our company, and that was that you shouldn't be out there as a CEO. This was what was said to me. You shouldn't be out there as a CEO proposing change. You should give it to females. I said, wrong. I believe men should go out there so they're role models of role models that other men can relate to and try to implement change. And it was a big debate, and I did step away, and I let you know some of our female leaders you know go out mm-hmm. and speak about change. But I still believe to this day um, men – are in a position of privilege and should use that privilege and platform. And it shouldn't just be women leading the charge and queer people proposing, you know, equality for queer people, because then you can victimize those people easily. It it should be people who are in a position of privilege. If you're in a position of privilege and you're an executive listening to this, or you're a founder, we have plenty of founders and stuff, step up right now, just because you're not an ethnic minority or you, 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 you don't relate to a certain gender and maybe, you know, you're a male or whatever, right? You need to speak up for everyone because that's your job in a position of power. Absolutely. I could not agree more. Um, my, actually, my therapist said to me in times that I've struggled with privilege, said it is your job to use your privilege. All of it. It is your job to leverage your privilege and continue to pass it along because if you shy away from your privilege and you don't use it, it's just lost. It's gone. And so the privilege that we do have, we should be leveraging it. Absolutely. Like, white people need to be talking about racism. Straight people need to be talking about LGBT rights. Like, right, the list goes on and on and on. 
And it's, it, I agree. It is my job to continue to talk about things. It's the same as like people ask me why I have like queer and she, her on my LinkedIn and my Twitter and all of my things. And it's like, because I have pretty privilege and straight passing privilege. And it's my, I'm safe. I have the privilege of being a queer person and being safe. So I need to be out there taking up space as a queer person and as a queer founder, because not everyone has the ability to be out and be safe. Totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. Ashley, we, we have a lot of um, people on this uh, podcast who uh, might be looking for a job. Some might be potential customers for you. Uh, some, if they're lucky enough to invest in you in the future. Um, how can people reach you? And um, is there anything you want to say regarding your ideal customer profile? I'm, I'm, you know, I would love to see you be successful, not just because I've invested in you, but we do need more leaders like you. What does your ideal customer look like if a viewer or a listener on the show can help you and you know, think of someone who might be a good customer for you? Well, could, could you explain what that customer looks like? Our ideal customer is anyone with an elevator or escalator. Um, whether you are property manager, facility manager, owner, we also will give free coverage or very discounted coverage um, to nonprofits. So if you have an elevator and you don't think that you may be able to afford us, please reach out to me. And then you can find us on at auditmate.com, on LinkedIn, on Twitter. Those are the main places. Great. Ashley, thank you so much for coming on. This was very fun, inspiring. And um can't wait to uh, track your progress and also, you know, be part of that journey with you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me.